We are in a, in a series as a church called Forget Not. And this is a, a phrase, a statement. You'll find it a number of times throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. Really this constant charge towards God's people to forget not. Uh, sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I see the, the waves of God's relationship with the Israelites. And sometimes I forget that for the Israelites, those waves of devoted to God, uh, in doubt with God, frustrated at God, rejoicing in God, that was generation to generation. And so we're reading a story uh, where where people would fluctuate generation to generation. Now I can go through all of that in one day. (laughs) And uh, it's just the nature of it. But we can learn a lot from that. And you often see it throughout throughout the Scripture. But the the danger wasn't really in forgetting the concept of God. I've already shared this, the concept, the idea of God. I I don't think you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, what was that thing I did on Sunday? And Who's that thing up there? You know, the danger isn't forgetting the concept of God. The danger was always in forgetting their devotion towards God, their love towards God, their worship of God, their dependency in God, their trust in God, their hope in God. And, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't instantaneous. Our, our forgetfulness of God's involvement in our world, again, it's not us forgetting God, but forgetting the role God plays in our life. It, it isn't instantaneous. I don't, I don't instantly just forget God's involvement in my world. It's over time. As I, as I neglect it, it drip, my life drifts and down the track now I've come to this place of forgetfulness, but it's not an instantaneous forgetfulness. Again, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and instantly forget God's work and, and hand on your life. It's also, forgetfulness is an intentional thing. You, often most of us won't work, wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh, forget God. You know, we, we, it's, not, it's, not, it's not instantaneous and it's not intentional. It's a drift over time we don't forget on purpose like I didn't wake up this morning and purposely forget forget where I put my keys it, it didn't happen on purpose it was because I was neglectful the night before on where I put them and then in the morning it's everyone else's problem on where I put my keys but it, it, it's not intentional and it, it, it it's not instantaneous but the danger is in the drift it's in the drift, and even between the Israelites, between generation to generation, it was the drift of hearts. And often the writers, the prophets would come back and say, hey, don't forget what God did for you, because you have drifted from that place. And the danger is even with us today, there, there can be drift in our hearts, not even in drift in, 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 in the complete idea of our devotion towards God, but I drift in, in remembering how involved God is in my life. I drift in remembering how much God's hand is for me and with me. I drift in remembering how much life and freedom comes through God. And I want to look today at a, a, a passage, uh, I actually want to look at a chapter in Scripture found in Jude- Deuteronomy 8. Now, when hearing the next series we're going into is called Forget Not, Deuteronomy 8 is pretty much a go-to because the title of Deuteronomy 8 is Do Not Forget the Lord. And so it didn't take a whole lot of research to land here. Uh, but I want to look at Deuteronomy 8. There's a couple of things helpful to understand about Deuteronomy is, well, first of all, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy can in one way be interpreted as repetition of the law. So repetition of the law. But really what Deuteronomy is, is it's kind of like Moses' farewell remarks or Moses' last uh, kind of speeches to the generation before he passes. So Deuteronomy is set and Moses is speaking and commanding and teaching a group of people now who are the first, the first generation 
to be raised in, 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 in 400 years outside of slavery. So, so the pattern in which they can look back upon, they don't have a context because they're the first generation to be fully raised in the wilderness. And so Moses is trying to give them a pattern of, of kind of what they can, how, how to conduct their life because everything they look back on from the teachings from previous generations have elements of God, but also have the behavior and nature of slavery in it. And so Moses is saying, hey, this is, I'm giving commands uh, to, to this, this new generation of Israelites who, who are now outside of, of slavery. And verse one, he launches in by saying this, be careful to follow every command give, I mean, giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised you to, uh, on oath to your ancestors or to your people. Now, the, the opening of, of this, this, this verse, you see pretty early on as, as Moses is bringing back in the, the idea of the promise that what I love about the Israelites people from, from generation to generation, from, from slavery to hardship, one thing they never let go of was this idea and this promise from God, that there was an innate belief in their heart that God was going to deliver. God was going to deliver. Whether it was going to be in my time or not wasn't, wasn't really the Israelites' concern. What they were good at doing is holding on to the fact God will come through. Re- re- really, the, the Israelites then uh, are, were a lot more generationally minded than, than we are, especially in the Western world today. That actually for them, fulfillment of promises, the concern wasn't so much that it was going to happen in my time, but the, the, the concern was that it would be there for my generations. That actually the promises of God aren't just, just for, for here and now, but the promises I hold on to, whether I see it or not, I'm going to hold on to them for the fulfillment of the generations to come. Now, that, that's a bit different today because now if God doesn't answer by lunch, we start doubting. But they were able to, they were able to hold from generation to generation this belief that God was going to come through. And this was the generation that was, was going to step into what had been long prepared. What had been long prepared. And I'm thankful even as part of Cooper's church that, that we get to step into what's been long prepared. This thing was around long before me. Hopefully it'll be around long after me. Hopefully I don't crash the ship here in the city. That's not my goal. But, <laughs> but the reality is, is what we are living in now and what God's doing around the globe is because of many that have sown and prepared before us. And part of our responsibility is to possess what has been prepared, but in the same time lay foundations so others can possess in the future. So others can assess, take hold of ahead of time. And really at the end of the day, because even Moses knows at this point that he isn't the one to enter. But what I love about the heart of Moses and where we find Deuteronomy is the heart of Moses is he comes to this point of understanding he isn't one to take hold of it, but instead of saying, oh, well, my time is done here. Hands off. Let's see how they go. His heart is, there, no, I'm going to do all I can to prepare the next to make sure they know how to live in it. They know how to take hold of it. And I love the heart of Moses that once he realizes it's not even for him, his whole devotion, his whole meaning in life now comes towards, well, my job now is preparation of this new era that are going to take on a new thing. He doesn't take his hand, his foot off the accelerator, but he leans in and understands he's got a new role to play now. My role was... 
are out of slavery, but it isn't into promise. But my role is preparation so others can have promise. And there's things in my life which are about me taking hold of what's been prepared for me. But then I've also got to make sure in my life, am I laying foundations? Am I involved in the preparation of others to be able to take hold of their God-given promise? That we don't just take hold of what's been given to us, but we lay for what's to come. And so you open up with this idea of, of this fulfillment of promise, but the opening line is, can sound quite strict. It says, be careful and follow every commandment I'm giving you so. So follow every commandment. The, the, the danger here, if you read chapter 8 in isolation is you can easily in this chapter pick up the mentality, if I do right, I will, if I do good, I will get good. And that, that, that's, that, that's a human, part of our humanity, we've got to continue to, 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 to not allow creep into our mentality that, that what I have is because of what I've done. That, and, and because the, the flip side to that is you do not have because you have not. But that's not the reality of life. That some people do not have what you have, not because they haven't done what you've done. A lot of people have worked harder for less, done better and got less. Why? Because the nature of life is we can't always control what goes on in this world. And so, so the, but the danger if you read chapter 8 in isolation, if you think, well, if I follow every commandment, then God will. So if I do right, I will get right. And if I do wrong, I will get I will get bad things, but but if but if you even look at, at chapter nine, so the title of chapter nine, so that is is not because of Israel's righteousness. So chapter nine, I've done a bit more research than just read the titles in the Bible, by the way, just to give you a bit of confidence. Chapter nine, if you get this, chapter nine opens by. Moses talking about how God's going to take you into the land. And in verse 6, he says this, Understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord has given you possession of the land, for you are a stiff-necked people. What's God saying is, hey, I, I realize your humanity, and I realize the flaws in your humanity, so, 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 but, but I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the land anyway. So ver chapter 8 has this tension of saying, Do right, and you will enter. Chapter 9 says, well, you're going to screw it up, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And you've got this tension between chapter 9, is, it can sound harsh, but if you read it through the mentality of God, is saying, hey, I recognize where you're at as people, but my grace is greater than that, and my sovereignty is bigger than that, and I'm going to continue to fulfill the plan and purpose of, of, for, I have for your life, regardless on whether you tick all the boxes. So it's this tension, chapter 9 is really about the sovereignty of God, and the goodness of God, despite the frailty of man. And, and so, so, so chapter 9 is very much about the grace of God leading you towards your promises. And it's not because of your good behavior. It's just because God's hand is with you. And, and you're recognizing that. But cha chapter 8 is, is very much, on the other hand, saying, hey, you better conduct your life in a manner so God can lead you into the blessing. And that two thoughts, you've got to hold in tension of one another. No, I don't have because, because I deserve. I have because of the grace of God. That God leads me. God guides me, and it's by His grace. But I need to conduct my life in a manner which enables me to take hold of what it is that God's wanting to pour out into my life. Chapter 9 comforts me, knowing that God's in control beyond my mistakes. Chapter 8 challenges me, that I need to lift 
my heart, my devotion, and my love to God so I can be positioned. And one commentator would say that the voice, the voice of God is both gracious and life-giving, but also commanding. Even the voice of Jesus as he walked through this earth, it was gracious and life-giving, but it was also commanding. And sometimes we like to listen to the gracious, life-giving voice of Jesus. But there's times where you need to lean into chapter 8. Because chapter 8 is prepares you so the blessing won't ultimately rob you. That's what chapter 8 is all about. And because at the end of the day, because when it comes to the pursuit of God, the obedience, obedience isn't, just a, isn't just a matter of understanding, but one commentary talks about how it's a matter of will and heart. That obedience isn't just doing the right thing, but it's actually having a, a heart that's behind what I'm doing. It's not just showing up. It's not just doing the right thing. It's actually having your heart behind it. Because in Deuteronomy 6, earlier on, in, in some of Moses' teaching, he, in verse 5, it says this, Love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be where? On your heart. They're not to be on a wall as a, as a list of rules. This is our house rules. No, the, to be on your heart. These aren't things I have to do. But my devotion, because God's going to, God's gracious towards me anyway. Paul says it like this, all things now are permissible, but they're not all beneficial. So, so these, these, these aren't to just be written on a wall and make sure I tick all these boxes. No, they're to be on my heart as my devotion to God. I want to pursue, I want to follow God. And then in verse 7 of chapter 6, it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Not only do they lay on your hearts, you've got to teach them in a way that they lay on the hearts of the generation to come. Then they've got to lay on the hearts of the generation to come because God was often not forgotten in a generation. God was often forgotten between a generation. Between a generation. And it's often when one generation wasn't able to lay the devotion of God on the hearts of the next, they would... They, they, would, they would observe the customs, but they lost the devotion. And now we can't control the response of the next generation, but we can ensure that our heart for God, God's house, God's people, God's ways, are felt and taught to the next generation. But then you find in Deuteronomy uh, 8 verse 2, if we carry on, it says, remember how the Lord... You got, now get this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble you, test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And then in verse 3 it says, remember he humbled you, causing you to hunger and to feed, to feed, feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, and then to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Really, Moses in the outset here is, hey, hey, remember, three things you need to really hold on to and remember. First, that God led you. Don't forget it was God that brought you here. Don't forget it was God that led you to where you are. Don't, don't forget that. And then secondly, don't, don't forget that, that he humbled you. That it was God who led you, then it was God who humbled you. 
humbled not in the in the manner of made you feel small, but humbled in the in the taught you how to receive, taught you how to how to understand that it isn't because out of four hundred years of slavery, the mentality is I've got to work for everything, I've got to earn everything, I better take control of everything, I better make everything happen. And the danger is 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 we we have that same mentality today. We're just enslaved to different things, different ideas, different thoughts. But it's still that I better work, I better make. And God says, no, for a season, just learn how to receive. I see he removed the ability to, to earn and just said, now it's a season of, of receiving. And, and there's times in, in, our, in our journey with God, you got to remember not everything you have to work so hard for, <laughs> but you also need to learn how to receive from God, to sit under God. You know, I was, I was a youth pastor for long enough. Uh, <laughs> Too long, some would say. Uh, my wife would say no. Uh, but I was a youth pastor for for a while, and there's there's a repetitive kind of scenario you end up in. It, that's buying teenagers food. That's just part of the repetition of being a youth pastor. Anyway, you'd often find yourself at McDonald's with a group of young people, and everyone's buying their food. And some of you heard heard this before. And often there'd be one or two that that wouldn't be at the counter. They wouldn't be buying food, and Afterwards, you'd be like, hey, I'll shout you. You got no money? I'll shout you. And they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not hungry. I'm like, no, it's all right. I got you. No, I'm not hungry. I ate yesterday. You know, like it, it's this inability. We, we, know, we know you're hungry. That's not, that's not the problem. It's this inability to let your pride down to receive, to just receive. The inability to humbly just say, you know what? Yeah, I'm a bit short on cash. You're able to help me out. And it's their pride that, that stops them from receiving. It's the same with us and God. Sometimes we're just too prideful. Just to sit down and just go, you know, there's some areas I'm in need. We'd rather just work ourselves. And so God says, don't forget who led you. Don't forget who provided for you. Who humbled you. And don't forget who taught you. Who taught you how to live. Who taught you. Don't forget to, see, I've come to realize in life, life will get costly or your Christianity will get costly when you forget God is the leader, when you forget God is your provider and your position is to be humble before Him and that God is your teacher. You can do Christianity, it will just be costly. If God isn't in control, if God isn't leading the way, if you lose your humble position before Him and you don't allow God to be your teacher, your teacher. And he's saying it not just in the remembrance of what was done to give thanks. He's saying it in, as you look forward, as you prepare a way ahead. Remember, it's God that needs to lead you. And it's God that you need to be humble before. And it's God that you need to allow to teach you. But then Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8 verse 4 kind of carries on like this. It says, your clothes do not wear out. Your feet did not swell. That's a good day, I guess at home without swollen feet. And during these 40 years, I'm like, out of all the things you could give God praise for, it says, know then in your heart that this man, know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of your Lord God, walking in obedience with him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you, bringing you into a good land. Now, it's, it's important to understand at this point of the passage, 
This is Moses speaking to the generation there. We read it in hindsight. So we have observations on what the wilderness season was because hindsight brings perspective. Up until this moment, the reflection on their current season wasn't that God was preparing you, it was that God was punishing you. So at this point, the Israelites thought the wilderness season was punishment. They thought they were in a punishment season. Because earlier on in Deuteronomy, you find out, and if you read the story of Exodus, you find out that they could have entered the land earlier. But because of the doubts of the people, that they withhold from entering in. So what did they see? That, that, so then their, their reflection was, now God is punishing us. And when God is done punishing us, when we've paid the price enough, then God will take us to where he wants to take us. And so all the reflections at this point had been God is punishing us. Moses enters the script in hindsight at the end of his life and said, no, this hasn't been about punishment. This has been about preparation. God didn't keep you here because you did wrong. God kept you here because he realized there is a lot that needs to develop in you. And so at this point, the reflection goes from this has been a punishment season to this has been a discipline season. And there is a big difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline is constraints around your world to develop the character in your life to be able to take hold of a greater future. Punishment is just bad consequences because you did wrong. God doesn't punish us. But it doesn't mean God doesn't discipline us. I am not punished because of my sin under the blood of Jesus Christ, but I am disciplined by God at times. And the danger is sometimes I think we see God's discipline as God's punishment, and then we say, well, that can't be God. Because God forgives me of my sin. Yeah, God forgives you of your sin, but He also wants to discipline you so you don't stay under the control of that sin. That there's times, and, and, and Moses, at the end of it, looks back and says, no, we haven't been punished. We've been disciplined. We've been prepared. And what they thought was punishment was preparation. Was preparation. It's the beauty of hindsight. The beauty of hindsight as you look back. Now, there are some seasons in life that are just hard because they're hard. The problem often with Christians, you're in a hard season, and everyone wants to give you their faith spiel on it. God's just leading your brother to greener pastures. So you could just say, oh, yeah, that sucks. And, uh, <laughs> but there's times where life just sucks. But there's seasons that if we misread them, we'll miss what God's trying to prepare in us. Actually, Jeremiah later on looks back and talks about that season of the Israelites as a season of learning devotion towards God in Jeremiah 2. But for Moses, the concern wasn't that God, whether God was going to give them the land. In fact, that was never the concern of the Israelites. They held on to the promise. So the concern was not whether God was going to come through or not. Moses' concern was that when God comes through, will you still remain with God? That was the concern of Moses' heart. That when God blesses you, that that blessing won't rob you of the most important thing, which is your devotion and relationship with God. The concern for Moses was not whether God was going to be faithful. The concern on Moses' heart is when God is faithful, will they remain faithful? 
Will they remain? That, that's where Deuteronomy is drawn from. That's where the law is drawn from. That's where the teaching of Moses is drawn from. This desire to say, hey, God is going to bless you, but that blessing has the potential of robbing you. And God doesn't want to put you into a season where you're robbed from the more important thing. That was his concern of his heart. And the danger at this point is at the end of the day, they, they come to this point because as the blessing, as they step into the blessing, the danger is that they become self-sufficient. In fact, one, one commentary talks about how wealth can lead to the disillusionment of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency and security is that it's disillusionment when it's obtained outside of God. Because ultimately, God's in control of all things. But sometimes in hardship, that's easy to understand. But as God leads us forward, and life becomes a bit freer, the danger is we, 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 we're not on top of life because we've figured out life. That, that, that's the trick we fall into. It's part of our humanity. The Bible, the whole way through, has got patterns of it. That, that we lead to this point where well, I haven't sorted out, I haven't figured out life. It's actually just that God's hand. Because at the end of the day, the biggest and most important thing is that every blessing should lead us to praise. Because any blessing that doesn't lead us to praise will lead us to pride. It will lead us to pride. See, in verse 10, Moses is warning of this. He says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God with all your hands. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He has given you. Praise God for it. He goes on then to say what the land is going to be. And if, if, you, if you don't return to praise, verse 14, he gives the warning. And this is the warning. If you don't return to God in praise, what will happen? Then your heart will become proud. And you'll forget the Lord brought you here. You'll forget the Lord brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. See, any, any, any blessing that's not returned in praise will return in pride. And maybe you're in a space in life right now and you're just like, oh, I don't need so God, much of God right now. Maybe it's not because you've figured out life. <laughs> maybe it's because you've become blind. You've become prideful. You've lost sight of actually your dependency and your need of God. But verse 17, I just want to carry on through this. Well, verse 14, it talks about, like I said, you'll become proud, which then leads us to blindness of our need for God. I remember our son, our son's now four months old, so I thought that was a good go so far. And um, he's pretty he's pretty helpless. Um I'm like, he smiles and giggles and that gives us enough motivation to keep going and 4 a.m. When he's smiling and giggling at 4 a.m., it's not so cute, though. <laughs> but I remember about a month into this journey, and uh, I'm up at 4 a.m. as you are, changing nappies, everyone in this, a lot of you in this room being there and trying to figure this thing out. And as I've been told by everyone, you're going to spend the rest of your life figuring this thing out, and that sounds fun. Uh <laughs> Someone, surely someone can write a book. Um, the people have, I just haven't read them. <laughs> and um, I'm there cleaning them up. And I, it kind of 
hit me. I was sitting there. I was like, man, I, I should probably thank my parents a bit more. Because once upon a time, they were up at 4 a.m. cleaning me up. And this sense of awe of, man, we're more dependent. I just felt this, oh, God, I'm just more dependent than, than I even realized. The danger in life as you go through life, you buy into this thing that you're self-made. I did this. My decisions lead me here. I, a humbling thought is just as you're pondering on how awesome you are, just remember one point of time someone was up at 4 a.m. cleaning your bum too. Why oh, you were pretty useless. <laughs> but the danger is we, in our humanity, we start to buy into this lie like we, we got here. We created this. We did this. In fact, verse 17, Moses speaks to that very hard. He says, you, you may even say to yourself, my power and my strength of, my, my power and strength of my hands have produced wealth for me. But remember your God, for He gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore with your ancestors as it is today. Moses saying, don't be fooled. Don't be filled by the blessing. In a few years' time to think that you did that. Remember God in it all. That's why I love the principle of the tithe. Because every week it brings my heart back to reminding myself, actually, this isn't me. I didn't create this. God gave me the ability. That's why the principle of the first fruits is a powerful one. It's not about, my, see, my, my tithe, my first fruits, it, it, it really isn't for God as much as it's actually for me. I bring it to God, but God, God doesn't ask us to bring the first fruits to Him for His sake. He says, do it. It's for our sake. It's like in Mark 2, when Jesus' disciples are getting questioned around their holding to the Sabbath, and Jesus stops and says, hey, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was created for man. The man wasn't created for the Sabbath. At that point in time, now it was no longer serving man. Man was serving it. Because no, it was instituted, it was put in place as a law by God because after 400 years of slavery, I had to teach the people to have a day off. They didn't know that. So it was grace. And it was to serve man. The observation of the Sabbath was to serve man. Grace towards men. That's like tithing. Tithing for me. It, 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 it serves me. And breaking down the pride and the self-sufficiency of my own heart and brings it in and says, God, I remember you. I remember my dependency on you. I remember my need of you. I remember. In verse 19 is the final verse. It's, a, it's quite a harsh one. And you've got to bear in mind, Moses is speaking to a generation that hadn't even committed a problem yet. <laughs> he gives them a pretty strong warning. He says, if you ever forget the Lord and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you surely will be destroyed. That's a pretty harsh warning. At the end of the day, Moses knew the people were going to move forward in God's plan regardless. Because the very next verse is where we find the title 
look, God's going to do it regardless of Israel's righteousness. But he's given a stern warning. He says, hey, if you don't position your heart right, this is going to be costly. You're going to take hold of it, but it's going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you a lot. If you turn and start serving other idols. Now, in the Western world, the danger for us probably isn't so much serving other gods, as we would put it, but we serve other idols all the time. In fact, one commentary said the idolatry of modern people is the belief about what produces good, which has no room for God. Trying to produce good in your world with no space for God in it. But at the end of the day, Moses is saying, hey, you're going to live blessed, but you could do it in a very costly manner. And I've come to realize is I can live saved, but still live costly. I can live saved by the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. It is not my actions. It is not my good deeds. It is not my good behavior. It is my belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that I am saved, that my eternity is secured in heaven, not by my deeds, but by God's grace. So I could inherit eternity, but still live costly. And, and he's saying, hey, there's a costly way to take hold of this promised land. And the costly, if you forget God, it's going to be very costly. There's all sorts of costly ways that we live our Christianity out. It's costly when we do it as a lone wolf <laughs> in isolation. It's costly when we live with partial surrender. Partial surrender towards God. It's the hardest place to be in God. God doesn't even like you there. In fact, in Revelations, he's pretty strong against it. Because it's costly. You're committed to the idea of God, the plans of God, but still how you work out your life is in, in contrast to those things. And, and when there's this half surrender, there's this tension and it's just, it's expensive. Costly Christianity, when I do it with an unrepentant heart, with a hard heart, when I do it with lack of devotion, because the danger there is then I lead into legal, becoming legalistic and it's costly. I'll still be saved, but I'll live costly. When I live an unrighteous living, not getting everything right, but when my living isn't surrendered to the feet of Jesus, the ways I conduct my world, conduct my life, my behavior, my habits. When I live self-dependent, when I live self-serving, that's a costly way to do life. Because fulfillment is found in the service of others. And a lot of people spend a lot of life with a self-serving motive. Get to the end of the days as they go through life and realize actually I've, I've gone after so much for me, but at the end of the day, I still feel empty. Why? Because, because fulfillment in God's design for our humanity is found in the service of others. And it's in the service of others that I, I find the meaning and fulfillment of why God got, put me here. And, and there's, there's this tension that when we live self-serving, it's a costly way to live. But the encouragement for us this morning is Moses' command is, hey, the land is coming. And you got to hold on to that. Come on, the promises of God are not forgotten. They're not forgotten. But when the blessing comes, don't let it rob you. Don't let it rob you of the more important thing. And how do you do that? 
Don't forget God's the one who leads you. Don't forget your humble position before God. And don't forget to be teachable by God. And that's how you can take hold of the things of God. Not let them turn to pride. Come on, remember to praise in all we have. 